Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Welcome into today's Believe in Wizards podcast. Before we get going today, I just want to give you a quick word from our sponsor, betonline.ag. The month of July is heating up with tons of exciting sports action, and BetOnline is where you can find all of it. Obviously, we have the NBA Finals starting. The Phoenix Suns blew out the Bucks in Game 1, so maybe you can get really good odds on the Bucks, so it might be worth looking into. But you also have the hockey playoffs, and there's always baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. So BetOnline has all the latest odds, news, and information for all of your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or first pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now, let's start the show. Okay, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. we got an NBA draft-focused episode for you today. So joining us is Raphael Barlow from the NBA Draft Junkies and also one of the hosts of the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time. I know this is a busy portion of the year for folks covering the draft, so thanks for making it work. Yeah, no problem. Anytime I can talk draft and NBA basketball, it's, it's all good. So anytime you want me on, let me know. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, just let's kick this thing, on, you know, into high gear right away here. The Wizards GM, Tommy Shepard, has said that, you know, he'd like to add athletic wings who can shoot and defend. So kind of the three and D prototype comes to mind there. Uh, they have the 15th pick in the draft. Are there any guys in that range specifically that really stand out to you or make a lot of sense for the Wizards, in your opinion? You know, honestly, it just depends on how the the lottery goes. So. You know, I think of guys like Moses Moody, maybe like a James Booknight. I don't think they'll be available at 15. Maybe Franz Wagner from Michigan could be available. He wouldn't. I'd say he's more so of like a, a jack of all trades, connective tissue guy, as opposed to like this really athletic wing. But I think he's a guy that will play some four, maybe some three, and maybe even if a coach is creative, some five in a small ball lineup. Let's see. Zaire Williams could be available in that range. He's the one that's hard for me to, to, to gauge because in high school, he was really good. But if you watch his film at Stanford, you know, it, it didn't pass the eye test. He wasn't efficient, but the upside is there. I think they have him listed at 610 now, has some upside as a shot creator. But I'm one of these guys that I go by what I saw in college as opposed to high school. And I think that he's been able to benefit based off of the, the reputation that he had coming into this to this season. That's, I mean, Chris Duarte, he's a little older. He's about, I think he'll be like 24 on opening day. I think that he's someone that you can plug in right away that can come in and play knockdown shots. It just depends on are they looking for high upside or someone that's going to come in and contribute right away. And I think the Wizards are in like a tough predicament because Westbrook is not getting younger. Bill is, he's up for a contract or, or, extension pretty t- uh, I guess he just signed one but you know the whole rumor surrounding that sure. so I, I'm sure he wants to win now so it's kind of like a weird situation because some teams are in total rebuild mode and then the Wizards are probably trying to find the best of both worlds yeah so uh, there's a couple other names that have, have been in that general mix you have Keon Johnson out of Tennessee probably gone by 15 I would have to guess Jalen Johnson out of Duke Josh Giddy, an Australian prospect, uh, Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. Those are all sort of small forwards, but they're they're missing some component of, of that requirement. Kispert maybe Giddy's not. A point. Giddy's a point. Yeah, exactly. But but that 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 size that that you could play him out there next to somebody like Beal potentially. You know, you could even make a case that the Jalen Johnson, the point forward, things like that. Yeah. But 
he doesn't shoot much. Giddy doesn't shoot much. Kispert's not shoot, like overly athletic. Keon Johnson doesn't shoot much. Uh, do you see them reaching for for any of those kind of guys, or any of them maybe being in their in their mix? Well, that's why the Wizards are to me like the toughest team to predict because they're like not necessarily a really young team, but their two best players are. I mean, Bill is not old by any means, but I'm sure he wants to win now. He had a taste of the playoffs early in his career. So I don't know how much time they may have for development. Keon Johnson, if he's available, I think he has the highest upside, but I think he's a few years away. Kisper could come in and play right away, but he's kind of like a smaller version of Bertans. I think that he would help the team. He would give them an additional floor spacer. And I mean, Westbrook with a lineup of Bill and Kispert and maybe Bertans at the four, then that could uh, open up a lot of driving lanes there. So like I said, the Wizards are just a tough team to predict. I mean, there's there's holes that they have, but, you know, you want to win now, at least in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to agree a thousand percent. And I'm just kind of listening to obviously to the expert talk, um, <laughs> because when you think about the Wizards and, you know, you think about these guys that are coming out of college or if they're coming from from overseas or whatnot, it's not going to matter who they pick if they if the Wizards don't have the direction that they're going in. Like, you know, you can say that you want the, the wing, you know, that can shoot the basketball. But these guys are young. Right. So, you know, their shot mechanics aren't necessarily there. Um, you know how they play the college season. You know, they may have, you know, some more to give and you're just not aware of that yet. So, I mean, just from the, the draft process to the front off process, how how you know, how important is that to, for those, you know, for those systems to be, you know, kind of working simultaneously or, or be on the same page as far as to, you know, you know, the organization is drafting the players, but how are they actually going to fit into, you know, that team sort of concept? I mean, can you just talk about um, how important it is for organizations to, to be, to have a safe place for these, these draft picks to land versus not, you know, not having any sort of direction. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you could probably explain that better than, than any of us because you, you've you been around and seen it. It's, it's a situation where they don't have a coach right now. So, you know, you could end up draft. Hopefully they have a coach in place before the draft. We're still like three weeks away. And I think also you may want to try to find, especially with this group of player that's going to fit into a coach's system. And I think even with last year's pick, Avdi, I was a big Avdi fan coming into the draft. I spent a year overseas, so I really had a chance to follow and understand overseas basketball. I don't think that he was – I don't think the Wizards were the best team for him to showcase his skill set. He's more so of a point forward, secondary ball handler. And, you know, with Russ and Bill, he's not going to have a lot of opportunities to play and pick and roll. So, I mean, that's probably the best example of – the the player and the players around him not being the best fit and so for Denny he's going to have to work on being a I mean he spent too much time shooting threes to me which was not his his strength but he's going to have to adjust because they're not going to take the ball out of the hands of Westbrook and Bill so I mean to me that's one of the best examples of the the player not being in the right fit for the players around him if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean that, that makes sense because we're talking about the draft process. So these prospects are only be, are, are only going to be as good as really the places that they land. And you know the predictions. Obviously, you want to give the rundown on all the players, but again, you have to figure out who's going to be the coach and where is the place that these guys are going to have the best chance to be successful. Um, because you may not get that shooter on the wing, you may just get a hell of a defender or or you know a, a guy that can you know can make plays across the board. So. I think it's open for the Wizards and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of where they where they land over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, this is something I want to ask both you guys about real quick. And it's kind of a nice segue. I think you hear a lot about should the team strategy be best player available or draft for need? And you look at Avdia specifically, he was the highest guy on their board, but you almost you know don't become best player available if you're shoehorned into a team that that doesn't make sense for you. So I think there's got to be some blend of those two things like best player available that also makes some amount of sense here like does that make sense to you guys as sort of like a those two things go hand in hand yeah for me when I do my mocks a lot of times I try to go by 
a combination of both, like best player available, but also the best fit, which is going to be something that Houston Rockets are going to have to decide, you know, going into this, this draft. I mean, you can make a case. I mean, I don't think Wall is in their long-term plans anyway, but you can make a case and say their two best players were Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood. Well, if they're deciding between Jalen Green and Evan Mobley, there's a lot of redundancy there. Same thing with Cleveland. If you, if Mobley goes second, Jalen Green ends up going third, then he plays the same position as Colin Sexton, maybe a bigger, you know, a bigger version. So it's, it's tough. So I try to, you know, try to find somewhere in the middle, but I think in most cases, teams are going straight with best player available, especially if you're in the lottery, then you're probably not in position to, to, to draft or fit. And that's why I think, and I've said it over and over again, the Wizards are in a really weird situation with this draft. Yeah, and, and for me, I, I think when you talk about best fit, it's, it's what the abilities are. Um, are those abilities on the athletic side or those abilities just on the overall ball skill side? What's making that player, you know, the best player available? And then obviously from there, understanding what's the landing spot and how the, that sort of skill would fit in. I mean, even because a guy's athletic, he may show well on the high school side or even, you know, somewhat on, you know, in the, on the college space. But I mean, we know that being athletic is a part of the NBA, but it's not everything. I mean, there's more of the ball skills and more of the basketball IQ plays in that. And I think that that's where you get into, you know, the draft process and figuring out, you know, you know, best best player available and best fit is really how smart these guys are to transfer that information that they've, excuse me, that they've grown up with. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. You, you're, I mean, the guys are 19 years old. <laughs> and then on top of that, just predicting, I mean, I, I'm sure you can, you know, talk about it better than I can. You know, how how tough is it to be 19 years old with millions of dollars in your bank account, you're still immature in a sense, but still motivated to get up and work on your game. And, and DC is, is a, a city where you can kind of get lost in pretty, pretty fast. So all of that has to play a role in, you know, your drafting as far as like the Intel, is this guy going to enjoy DC nightlife too much? And I think that's the part that we forget about. We just think about the talent, what they do on the floor, but there's a lot of other factors that go into best fit. Larry, in, in your experience, how much do like existing players on a roster pay attention or put stock in the type of player that a team drafts? So, you know, for your Wizards teams, if you guys were trying to make like a deep playoff run and prepare for that next year, take a step forward, but the team takes a total project, how much does that kind of concern you as a player? So for like Westbrook and Beal, like how much are you really hoping you can influence this decision or, or, you know, the direction here? Well, it's going to depend on how many years you've been in. And I think with those guys, they're locked into every scenario that the Wizards are even thinking about, you know, every player that's available, they understand what sort of players can help them. And they may not necessarily be out there, but they understand what sort of players can help them. And if you bring in someone that they completely know that's not going to help them, then they're going to feel it. But as a player, a few years in the league, you're not necessarily tuned into the ins and outs of, you know, like the college game or, you know, who's going to be the best pro, you know, the best project, you know, that's coming out. You probably know the top five or top six, top seven, but the Wizards are in that 15 spot. So it's going to be a little bit tougher for, for Brad um, and Russ to understand those players that, that are available to them. But yeah, they're, they're tuned in as a vet on the team, as a team, as a guy that's probably lost some games, uh, obviously didn't win the championship. You kind of have an idea of, of what's going to make your locker room better, but also what's going to, you know, help you on the, on the court. And it may just be for short spells during that first year, second year, but those players know like what's going to help them uh, in the long run. I think if there's one guy in the NBA that would have a good understanding of the players that are coming in would be Bill because he's been active on the AU circuit with the EYBL team. So he's probably have seen some of these guys coming up. So I think there's one guy that has a little bit more knowledge of the players coming in than anyone else. So it would be Bill. So I think that that could be helpful. 
Yeah, that that is true. Some of the players that have played played uh, under Brad Bill are actually, you know, in the running to be drafted. So yeah, that's that's good. That's a good comment. I've also heard that Russell Westbrook intends to either be in the building for some portion of these workouts or, you know, wants to be able to review tape from them or whatever. So I think he's sort of actively uh, interested in those things already. Uh, Raphael, Tommy Shepard has shown that he's not really afraid to break from consensus to take some of these guys and, and less so with Denny. I think he was lower on most boards than he, or, you know, higher, lower, however you look at that on most boards than he actually went. But the year before with Rui Hachimura, he was in the, like the twenties and a lot of mock drafts. He went ninth. Are there any guys projected in the twenties, thirties, even that, that you could see them maybe air quotes reaching on like a, a Trey Murphy from Virginia, a Kessler Edwards from Pepperdine, you know, like, is there anyone that kind of comes to mind later in that first round? That Yeah, that could be a possibility. Um, you know, if they're looking for, it just depends if they're looking for shooting, then, then yeah. I mean, we saw with Cam Johnston a few years ago with Phoenix. I remember on draft, everybody thought like that was a mistake. He was older. I mean, he was older than some of the, I think he was older than Devin Booker and, and Booker was probably already into his, <laughs> to his second contract. But we've seen that, I don't know if James Jones made that pick or whether McDonough, but either way, the fit worked out. He was the specialist that they needed to be a complimentary piece. So, yeah, Trey Murphy, I think, would be a very good complimentary piece for what they already have. For, for anybody that hasn't seen Trey, can you run down like his game a little bit for folks? Kind of like a late bloomer, went to Rice and transferred there to Virginia. He's, I believe he's like 6'9 or 6'10, but he's a shooter. I mean, he shot over 40% from three. And with shooting being so valuable in today's NBA, I think he's the ideal complimentary role player, especially when you have a superstar established. So I think that's a, a good fit, but it's just a matter of, of if he wants to reach for him. I don't, I don't really see him on a lot of boards as a, a mid first round pick, which, you know, if he ends up going where he's projected to go, then he's going to end up going to like a really good team and, and helping them out. But I think it makes sense for the Wizards to to look for complimentary players like that. But again, I just don't know the direction are they going in. Is it development or win now? If I had to guess, just given everything they'd say, I think the win now thing seems to be a little bit more in their mold. But like you said, they're, they're trying to do both. I think to some extent, you know, Hatchamore could come in and play some minutes right away, but also, uh, you know, it's got some room to grow. Denny has pro experience, but also a high enough ceiling. So I I think the guys that kind of like check both boxes to some extent uh, are are probably where they'll lean in a lot of these sort of uh, other prominent uh, mock drafts beyond your own. You've seen a couple centers off the board going to the Wizards, Alperin Sangoon, Usman Garuba, Isaiah Jackson. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about each of those three guys, just what what Wizards fans might might get, you know, get to see if one of those guys ends up here? and, And do you like either of those three guys for the Wizards? Okay, so what's interesting is about this time two years ago, I went to the under-19 World Cup, and it was in Greece. And in the championship game, it was Spain versus Turkey, and Garuba and Shingun matched up against each other. At that time, I thought Garuba was head and shoulders, the better NBA prospect. In my notes, I have his best-case scenario. is like a uh, Paul Millsaps, kind of like an undersized four good rebounder, um, you know, Millsaps developed into a shooter. When he came into the league, he was, you know, strictly a rebounder, but he developed into a shooter. He developed into a guy that could make plays out the mid post. And so that was my best case scenario for Garuba. He's shown some flashes of being able to knock down open shots this year for Real Madrid. But the skill set that I like most about him is, one, he's, he's the best defender in the draft, in my opinion, most ready to defend. He can switch out on guards but he's also like a really good passer in a short role. And I think he has an upside as a guy that early in his career can come in, defend, get energy buckets, run the floor, hustle, just make winning plays. Now, Shingun, I, I thought he was an NBA prospect two years ago, but the leap that he's made over the past year has been crazy. So I lived in Turkey. In my opinion, the Turkish league is the second best domestic league in Europe. The ACB in Spain is the best. But for him to win MVP average nearly 20 and 10 at 18 years old is is impressive. I mean, if you had a chance to watch his film, he's a load on the block, kind of like the old school center, wide body, 
soft touch, good footwork, patient. I think that he's a, I think he can be a combination of Jokic, not the passer and not the shooter, but also um, Yusef Nurkic. I mean, that, that type of mode. I think he can come in and help. He's confident. He has the, like I said, the touch. He's also a pretty decent free throw shooter. So I think that he will be able to extend his range. So I like him there. Isaiah Jackson is is raw. I mean, I think he'll he'll come in and you know be a a good defender, great shot blocker. I think he averaged almost four blocks a game or per thirty six or something like that. He may be a little bit similar to Gafford. Now I like the Gafford pickup. I thought that Chicago misused him, <laughs> and he added so much needed athleticism. And you give Russ a a vertical lob thread that makes everybody better. So if I had to choose. I would go with Garuba. I think he's more so ready to come in and contribute to basically what they have. I mean, he'll defend. He'll, you know, be a, a lob threat. He'll, uh, you know, another passer. I think, you know, it's always good to have uh, guys that can make plays for others. I mean, I think Shingun is a pretty good passer also, but I like Garuba in the role. Larry and I can attest this a little bit. I think a good amount of Wizards fans have a, some amount of PTSD from from international picks over the last decade and a half here. So there's a couple of fans that are yawn. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> yawn is an NBA player bit. right now. Yeah, yeah, he he developed a little a little too late for us, unfortunately. Like, like they're trying to play him at like the three or four. Like he was on the team I was with in Turkey. Yawn is a freak athlete. I mean, I think he should have just been a, a five from the start, but I, I can see that. I can see the PTSD. <laughs> it's good to hear that that those guys at least have pretty high upside or pretty good comps in your mind. Just out of curiosity, where would somebody like Denny Avdia go in this year's draft? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I still think he'll be a lottery pick, but I mean, he was projected to go higher than he, than he ended Top up five-ish. Yeah. So I forgot where, where he ended up falling to maybe around the same range, but I think with this year's draft, at first, it was the top five. You know, everybody had the same top five. You're starting to see starting to see Scotty Barnes creep up and possibly being a top five pick. But I think after seven, seven through fourteen, I think it can go all over the place. Yeah, j- just on on the on the defensive side, when when you are evaluating the, the defensive guys in the draft, I mean, who's who is the highest rated you know defender in in, in the draft in your opinion? And and that's I, I would I would say that that's multiple positions to you know to playing defense, not just you know big guys, small guys, just across the board. Yeah, I'd say the guys that stand out. I think Mobley has a high upside as a defender. Um, Scotty Barnes, versatile. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of comparisons to Draymond Green. He's six nine, seven three wingspan. Should be able to switch. Garuba. I mean, I think he's a really good switchy defender. Um, Davion Mitchell from Baylor, who, depending on your on the board you're looking at, I mean, I've seen him as high as seven. Some people aren't high on him at all. I think that if he were to fall to Washington, I think that makes sense there. He'd be a you know backup point guard. I thought Ish Smith has played well. I'm not sure about his contract situation, but he can come in and he'll he'll be a defender. Depending on if you're buying a jump shot, I know like that's that's like the big concern. He had like an outlier season where he shot over 40% from three. The free throw shooting is still in the, in the 60s. So it depends on how you determine three-point projection. If you do it based on free throw shooting, then there may be concerns there. But those are the three best defenders. Um, Wagner from Michigan, I think, is a, a good, smart defender. Like He'll get in the passing lanes. He just knows where to be. So those are the guys that come to mind that can can help out on the defensive end. I mean, we mentioned Isaiah Jackson as as a shot blocker. Larry, for you, would you know coming out of college, you were you were a guy who was a good athlete, already could play defense, smart player. You weren't necessarily the the shooter. You you know you are even now. Like that was something you developed over the the course of your career. So for teams that are looking at prospects, would you prefer they say like this guy can already defend, will work on the shot, or would you rather say this guy's a shooter. We can teach him how to play defense. Is there sort of a, a preference from your experience? Well, I think, again, it's going to be each team is different on what that player is going to be asked to do, you know, coming in the gate. And a lot of young players can obviously make their 
make their way on the court by playing good defense. It's not necessarily going to be knocking down shots. So I think if these guys, you know, if, if you have the mentality of I'm going to come in and defend, right, at a, at a high level, then you're going to get enough reps and you're going to work on your shot. You know, you're going to be professional to, you know, to, to gain all those reps and shot mechanics. So I think it's, it's on the, the defensive side and just the know-how. And it is the basketball IQ that factors into the offense and the defense because bringing in young guys, sometimes they don't know what's a good shot or what's a bad shot. So it's not necessarily that they can't shoot the ball is that they're just taking a bunch of bad shots. And I think for me, you know, my experience, that was me. Like I played in a different time and, you know, we took a lot of mid-range jump shots and there wasn't a lot of space. So essentially you would take a lot of contested jump shots. And obviously as the game has moved on, these guys can understand a little bit more, you know, of what a good shot is versus a bad shot. And for a lot of these guys, I think that helps their percentage. But, but to answer that question is, you have to have the, you know, especially trying to make a team or earn minutes on a team. I always start with defense first um, and then equate that to transition, equate that to easy buckets. And that should allow you to stay on the floor longer. Piggybacking off that, Tommy Shepard hasn't, he's shown a willingness to buy into the second round if, if he needs to, to add some picks. Raphael, any guys that, that you can think of in the second round that might, that sort of fit the mold there that Larry's talking about could come in, defend right away, but, but also you know, project out over time as being guys that could add more to their game. So there's a guy that I'm high on. His name is Ibu Baji. He's from Senegal. He played for Real Madrid. If you go to like my, if you go to my YouTube channel, NBA Draft Junkies, I did a video on him last week. When I say that if he, if he wants to be Dwight Howard, Orlando Magic Dwight Howard, he could be that. He's 7'1", 240 pounds, freak, freak athlete. Now, he's raw. Don't get me wrong. He's really raw, but he's just energy. He's so bouncy and athletic that when you see his blocks, I say it's 50-50 of them being gold tens. And good hands. Again, he's raw, turns the ball over, plays a little fast. But I think that he's a he has the upside to be something special. But there's also the concerns of everything comes so natural to him and so easy. How much is he going to work like he's I mean, he was born with the athleticism, the length and, and all of that. So, you know, it, everything has just kind of been handed to him. He's shown some flashes have been able to knock down shots. I mean, he's he's played well in this under 19 tournament that's going on now. I saw a game against Lithuania a couple of days ago where he changed everything. He may have had like five blocks, but it got to a point where nobody was even contesting him. So he would be like the, the guy that I would, I mean, I'm swinging for the fences with him. He's a bigger version of Gafford, maybe even more athletic. Okay. I like that. And, but again, he's, he's really, really raw. So it just depends on their developmental program. If they have a strong developmental program in place, then I think he could really be something special. I, yeah, I, I like that intel because I think that that's what's going to, you know, be sustainable for these organizations is their development program because how, you know, how global the game is, how young these players are. Um, obviously, we don't know what's going on with the rule changes with the kids coming out of, you know, directly out of high school. So, but I think that that's the mentality of somebody in the front office is, you have to have three or four of these guys every year that you can put on your board that we're swinging for the fences, because I think that that's how you begin to build, you know, your outfit to go out and, and compete for championships. I mean, I look at the Toronto situation, um, just the, how they just, you know, just, this just happens. I mean, but essentially it, it doesn't just happen. There's somebody in their development staff. There's somebody that's, you know, hidden for the fences uh, that can see what's going on with these guys. And I think that that's, you know, I think that that's the hidden gem, you know, within each organization is to have, you know, somebody like you, you know, making sure that you have the intel on these guys for sure. Yeah, I mean, Toronto's, a, I, I mean, it's hard to say a team has done more with, with less. I mean, Van Vliet was undrafted. Siakam was like the 27th pick. He's turned into an all-star. But even guys like Chris Boucher has been effective players. Um, OG was a late round pick. So yeah, I mean, Toronto is actually going to be scary to, to see them have an opportunity to draft a lottery pick, what they can do with that. But yeah, I mean, if I'm, 
if I'm the wizard, especially with the with the go-go team nearby, or you can actually be really hands-on with the development, I'm swinging for the fences on, on quite a few guys. I mean, you're going to strike out on some, but if you if you hit, then you get a really good bang for your buck. So even if Baji isn't drafted, and I think the knock on him is the intel of, I mean, is he going to work? He's lazy. But then again, I've been to Barcelona. Barcelona is like one of the best cities in the world. So I could see a, a teenager probably spending too much time on the beach <laughs> in, in Barcelona. But yeah, if the intel, well, he's actually going to this or supposed to be going to this combine that's in a few days in Minnesota. I don't know if you guys have heard about that. It's like this, it's a second combine, I guess, because they're trying to limit all the, the workouts with you know, all the traveling. So he's been invited to that. He's currently playing in latvia right now in this tournament so i'm curious to see if he leaves early for the combine i don't think his team is going to advance too far but i think he's someone that in a combine type setting he's going to test off the charts athletically so that's probably going to help his draft stock if it doesn't if the intel is bad i would still take a flyer on him as a you know exhibit 10 guy two-way guy that you can develop and it's not going to cost you a lot of money Seems like there's a lot of those kind of guys this year that that might potentially go undrafted just because boards are so all over the place that that you could get like a a guy that some teams have 40 on their board, you know, at 61. Another guy I know you're high on that seems like on paper would be a guy that GMs love uh, is Renz Blindberg, mm-hmm. uh, Belgian player, 6'10", more of a wing really than anything, little little point guard to his game, little wiggle with the ball and stuff like that. Like seeing how high Pokashevsky went last year, you know, I think that's the sort of guy we're, we're talking about is maybe a little bit raw, but has some guard skills. Why is that guy not higher on people's boards or why are you so high on him compared to maybe some other folks? I kind of feel like I was on the Blindberg bandwagon early and I saw, I saw his film. I saw a guy that was 6'10", could make plays for others. And I kind of, I guess I had a little intel in a sense because there's a guy that I knew that was working out here in Dallas a few summers ago, and that was his teammate. So I was able to see him. And then I reached out to him. He joined my podcast a couple of times. So I just talked to him yesterday. He asked the same question. His agent has reached out to me wondering why. I feel like part of it is because he's from Belgium. You know, if he's from France or Spain or Italy, then, you know, that those countries have reputations for sending out NBA players, even Israel. I mean, with Israel, you got guys like uh, Caspi, um, you know, they had a few guys, but there's nobody from Belgium. I mean, Tony Parker was born there. I think Frank Nilakina may have been born there, but nobody like grew up there. So he's kind of like a pioneer in a sense. But yeah, 6'10". He reminds me, best case scenario of Chandler Parsons, but like Houston Rockets, early Dallas Mavericks, not not the one that the Grizzlies paid like 90 million for and the fans were upset about. But yeah, um, if the shooting translates, then I think that he, he'll he be good because he'll be able to knock down shots, make plays for others. But he has the length and he just was able to get some workout. So I know he worked out with the Thunder yesterday. He's working out with Memphis today. And I, th- I think another reason why his name hasn't really been buzzing a lot is because scouts didn't get a chance to really watch him play live. I mean, they've been able to watch Garuba play for a few years. You know, even like with, with Denny, he played at the under 20s a couple years ago. And Belgium, when it, on the national team, those Belgian teams aren't in the highest division also. So I think that also plays a role in it. Larry, I'll start with you. I'd like both your answers on this one, though. How many missed evals do you think we'll see this year compared to most years because GMs didn't get to see these guys in person as much as normal or, or kind of the weird circumstances around the draft. You, you got Zaire Williams at Stanford. They were a road team all year. You know, like there's all these factors that went into, they didn't have a gym for him to work out in half the time. Like, do you think we'll see more, I don't know, missed evals, either good or bad um, this year compared to normal years? Well, I think so. I think so, too, with all the, you know, the transfer portal and kids able to kind of drop out of the draft that, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the, the deadline is, but I, I know it's coming close. Uh, so really getting an understanding of who's, who's actually going to stay in the draft and players are dropping out because they don't like their status, not because um, a team may not necessarily want them. So I think that that's going to, you know, that factors in as well. But yeah, I think they're going to be, you know, evals missed. I mean, I think they always are. Um, 
you know, when you talk about these players and the age of these players, and now you talk about, you know, just being able to compete in, in a normal setting of what you learn, you know, in the competition within, whether it's college or whether it's a uh, preseason with college or whether it's, you know, the summer workouts that they didn't get a chance to get or fall workouts that they didn't get a chance to get. I mean, they're missing, you know, four months of real development. So I think that the, some evals will be missed, but I think that's why it's important to have, you know, the organizations with people in place because you get a chance to bring these guys in with no pressure of a draft slot. I mean, so you're bringing these guys into camp and you can get more of an understanding of who they are and how their game is going to transfer to the NBA game versus the league that you were watching before. So I think it's a good and a bad thing that, you know, obviously the players are flooding the system. Uh, but again, it puts the onus on the organizations to bring in the right pieces and figure out, you know, what's going to be good for your team. I mean, you're looking at the broad view of evaluating someone those skill sets and the things that they bring to the table in that evaluation, it may not fit with your team. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the chicken before the egg, you know, in, in some, in some situations, but yeah, evaluations will be missed, but it, again, you have the opportunity to make it into, um, you know, into these camps, you know, into, into the, the free agent camps, and then you can get an even better look at, you know, these guys and get a better evaluation of them. Yeah, I agree. I think the evaluations, are missed more, maybe more today because the process is a lot different than it was. I'm sure when you came into the league, like nobody's playing one-on-one anymore, three-on-three. You have the agent controlled pro days where they're scripted and the guy's only doing what he's good at. Like I've seen pro days where guys just dunking, like this literally pick and roll dunk. Or, or, Uh, or, or the, or the guy that calls and says, Hey, I don't want to be in a workout with that guy. I've heard that happening where, you know, an agent is calling saying, you know, let's not put him in the workout with that guy. What is going on? Well, but you know what? I think it makes sense from the agent perspective. So let's take it back to your year, right? Let's say I'm a three and D I'm the agent. and I represent a guy that his job is to be a three and D guy. You think I'm going to have him matched up with you and they throw the ball out and say, play one-on-one. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That's that's definitely a strategy to it. But but at the same time, in order to get what you want, sometimes you got to go take it. So right. if an agent say agent say, hey, I don't think you should go in the matchup with that guy. I might say, hey, you know what? Let me in there with that guy. I mean, I guess the the story that I heard years ago was Tyreek Evans was killing everybody one on one, which that's his game. And I think he'd be like Steph Curry one-on-one. I mean, Tyreek, you know, strong, could handle. So, yeah, I don't want my guy matched up against a score if he's not. And then I think it's even tougher now because guys that are like really good scores may not be complimentary pieces. So they may dominate a guy that's projected to be a, a three and D. I mean, Gilbert told the best story how, he felt like he was the best one-on-one player, but he couldn't understand why Jason Richardson was going ahead of him in the draft. And, I mean, you can make a case and say that, I mean, the Warriors made a mistake there, and I think you were on, on those teams. But it's just, you know, it, it's tough because you don't really get that chance. And so, like, a lot of these workouts are scripted. If a guy's a good shooter, they may not put him in any type of ball handling drills or any type of drills where he's playing defense. He's just going to knock down open shots. So I think that's one of the reasons why the evaluation is so tough. They figure out how to trick him. Yeah. And I, I mean, if you're the agent, your job is to make sure your player gets the most guaranteed money in the beginning. And I mean, I've seen, I've heard a case. I don't want to mention the guy's name where his agent told me that he strategically had his client work out with another guy that they knew was immature and he dominated the guy every single time ended up being a top 10 pick and ended up flaming out the league early, but his agents knew like, all right, we got a guy that's played three years of college. We got a guy that's fresh out of that's only played one year. The guy don't play one year is going to be late to the workouts. He's going to forget his shoes. Like they knew all the negatives and the, the young immature player has made hundreds of millions. And the guy that was drafted ahead of him only played like four years. Yeah. So the agent did their job there. And that's I why it. I think fans especially always wonder like what teams hope to get 
out of these kind of workout environments. And the wizard said yesterday specifically, they were just looking to see these guys on their terms. You talked about the pro days and things like that, where it's very scripted, you know, they could throw them some curveballs in these workouts that they're leading and, and try to make them uncomfortable and see how they looked when, when they didn't know what the thing was going to, you know, what the, the routine for the day was actually going to look like. So is that kind of the main value you guys both see from, from these types of settings or, or are there other things you think teams are trying to find out from a, a workout? I think so. I mean, I think even something as simple as the terminology, throwing out the, you know, seeing how fast they can pick up on on plays and defensive schemes, I think that plays a role in it. But yeah, I mean, if I'm a team, I definitely want to throw some curveballs. I want to see how guy, how fast a guy can process things. I want to see how competitive a guy is. So, but if I'm an agent, I want to control that. Piggybacking into the Wizards uh, workout specifically, I'm going to throw a couple names at you real quick. We'll, we'll just do rapid fire on these guys. These are the ones that were brought in on Tuesday of this week. So uh, first one is freshman out of Texas, Greg Brown. What do you know about Greg or what, what should fans know about Greg, I guess? He is a freak athlete, like freakish athlete. I had a chance to watch him play in high school. He's still raw. He's um, maybe think of the Derrick Jones Jr. type. A little bigger than Derrick Jones Jr., high upside as a switchy defender, maybe like a wing shot blocker, best case scenario. I think for him, the, the biggest areas he needs to improve on is outside shooting. He shot 33% from three, which is decent, but the decision-making is, is, is tough. He has 60 turnovers and only 10 assists this year. So for him, I'd work on you know, like ball handling, if he can knock down open shots and be able to attack on straight line drives, then I think that he could he could have a real chance to to be a, a, a high complimentary role player. Uh, next one, Charles Bassey out of Western Kentucky. Throwback. You know, if this were 2001 instead of 21, he's the top 10 pick. He averaged 17 and 11, three blocks per game. Good on the low post. My knock on him is I think someone has told him, and this is tough, and Larry could probably answer this. If he just sticks to being who he is, then I think he's fine. But someone has told him you need to work on your range, which is totally fine. But I think he's starting to shoot too many, too many threes. He shot 30% from three. He has a good touch around the rim. He shot like 75, 76% from the foul line. So I think he should be able to improve as a shooter. But I'm worried about him falling too in love with the three or listening to people saying the game has changed so much. But I think if he decides to just be who he is, rebound, block shots, be a physical presence, then I think he could be a real steal for somebody. Uh, those are the kind of things that I think scare teams, too, from 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 what I hear. You know, the guy that has sort of um, a different idea of what kind of player they're going to be longer term than, than what teams see them as. Like, I can't think of any specific, actually, I guess uh, the Andre Drummond one comes to mind, you know, teams asked asked him who he was going to be in the league. And he said like a Kevin Durant. And, you know, that's, that's not the answer you want to hear from a guy that projects kind of strictly as a five, I think. Yeah. Well, even Dwight, I feel like if Dwight would have just accepted being a role man, he would have, I mean, he's going to have a great career anyway, but I think once he starting, started to want post touches, I felt like he was listening to Shaq too much. <laughs> he was trying to like expand his game. I think it kind of went downhill from there. You can also make the case for Drummond. I mean, he started shooting threes. You started seeing the videos of him working out. And it's tough because you want guys to work on their game, but also you want them to know who they are. So I don't really know the balance between that. And, and Larry probably could tell you stories of other guys that that lasted longer because they stayed in one particular role. And then there's probably guys that worked on something all summer, didn't get a chance to show it, didn't like it. And then it just kind of went downhill from there. So I really don't know the answer to that. But I feel like Bassey could be one of those guys where, I mean, he's like 6'11", 240. 40 strong he's, and chiseled. he's a big boy. Yeah. yeah. And then he just started shooting a lot of threes this season. So that's my concern about him there. Yeah. One thing that those guys, I mean, you got to surround them with, with veterans. I mean, you got to surround them with guys, you know, on the team that can speak to them and tell them what's a good shot. What's a bad shot. I mean, it's, it's really as simple as that. Or you, you look at the CP three model and 
think about certain players playing, you know, with CP and what, you know, not saying CP is God or anything, but what he's going to allow and, and, and not allow. That's going to kind of put you in the right position to be successful. And like you said, if you got a guy that's wants to expand his game, there's a right and a wrong way to do that. Uh, but yeah, you, these guys are, are young too, man. They're, they're young and they're very impressionable and they see, you know, what kind of gets the highlights and what gets the glamour. So sometimes these guys start to chase that as opposed to what can actually get them, get the dollars in their pocket. Yeah. And I think Aiden was kind of falling into that path. His numbers went down this year, but he's been a whole lot better because he's not shooting threes. He's just playing his role. And he's, I mean, he had a dominant game, game one of the finals. And I'm sure he wants to shoot threes. I'm sure he wants to dance with the ball a little bit, but you're right. Chris Paul probably was like, no, big fella, <laughs> just get these rebounds, duck in, I'll find you. Larry, any guys you had to do that for, younger guys, where you had to pull them aside and say, hey, do what you do? Um, I mean, it's just always with me, it's just it's comments. Yeah, and I can even talk, you know, a name that's been in the, you know, in the media with Kwame, hmm. right? I mean, I always talk with Kwame about, it's really not about your offensive end. I mean, obviously, you know, people want you to score because of the size that you have, but you're a great defender. Like, you know, I've, like we talked about before, you had to throw that ball in the post and, and that's when the play started. But man, we would, I mean, people would throw the ball down, you know, against Kwame and they couldn't move him. Mm-hmm. So if, if they couldn't move him, then we didn't have to come down and help as much. Um, it allowed us to stay home. So those are like comments that I would have to, you know, to like a Kwame to say, hey, man, don't worry about what they're saying you need to be doing on the offensive end. Just really focus in on that, you know, on that defensive end, holding guys out of the paint and rebounding the basketball. And that's what's going to make you successful. So I know I had those conversations uh, with Kwame and, and I ran into um, playing in Orlando um, right when this all the mess happened with D- Dwight Howard in Orlando. And his whole thing was he wanted to score the basketball. His whole thing is he wanted to touch the ball every time down court. And, you know, things didn't really end well with that sort of thought process. So, yeah, I mean, I've made the comments and seen different scenarios with, you know, with different teams and different players. Uh, but it takes a, a strong vet that's, that's uh, respected to, you know, help these guys out for sure. And sometimes you even see the teams do this. Like the Wizards example that comes to mind is a few years ago, they – they took a good backup center and Chris Humphreys and tried to make him a stretch five. And, you know, he was out of the league two years later. It just didn't, it didn't really translate for him, uh, you know, that far in his career to, to try to add that to his game. All right. Just getting back to this list. The next one kind of probably a lesser known name for folks who, who didn't watch much of the G league this season, uh, G league ignite player, Isaiah Todd. Isaiah is one of my sleepers. I don't know what the intel was on him coming out of high school. I know at one point he was like one of the top players in his class. And then it seemed like he, he fell. I think he may have been bored. I think things came really easy to him and he wasn't as motivated, but I thought he had a really good showing in the G league. He's he has the size. I think he has the upside as a shooter. He's fluid. He can post up some, he has the, he has enough in his game to where he can attack closeouts runs the floor. I mean, I think he has a really high upside. I don't know why he's not projected higher on draft boards. And I know like Brian Shaw has said really good things about him. I've had a, had a friend that worked in the G league bubble. He said good things about him. I just don't know why that he's not getting the same love that other guys are, are, are getting in this draft. So I think whoever selects him, I think it's, it's a steal. He may have a little bit of the Morris twins in him. As far as like you can post up in certain matchups, can knock down the shot. I think he's more fluid as far as like being able to put the ball on the floor and attack closeouts than than the Morris twins. But I think he's in position to have a long career. I thought you were going to say he'd be like willing to fight a guy over like a funny glance or something. That's what I think of when I I think (laughs) I have a little Morris twins in him. Maybe. I don't don't know that side of him, but you always want to have those guys on your team. You need a couple for sure. Uh, So, Larry, uh, just. Sticking with a couple of those younger guys, both Greg Brown and Isaiah Todd, are those two guys you had seen at all on on the youth circuit? I, I have, I have, I've seen Isaiah Todd uh, more than, than than Brown. I know he's a, a crazy athlete, um, and that sometimes you know when you're 
in the high school space or the youth space that could be your dis, you know, to your disadvantage because you you failed to work on those other skills, those ball skills that you need to, you know, move up the ranks. And with Isaiah, I think that he was good for so long. I mean, you talk about middle school being, you know, top five and then high school being, you know, I think eventually, you know, ending up, you know, top 10. I think he was just good for so long that, you know, people started to pick at his game to figure out what he couldn't do. And I think that that happens to a lot of these, a lot of these kids, but they get a chance to redeem themselves once they get into professional space. Uh, so for him, I think he has enough dog in him. I think he has enough fight in him uh, to want to compete. And I think that that's what's going to get him to where he needs to go. But that would be my sleeper, too, is is uh, Isaiah Todd uh, in this year's draft. Yeah, I like him a lot. Uh, yeah, like 6'9 guy that can shoot it, put the ball on the floor a little bit, long, athletic. I, that seems like the kind of guy that, that NBA teams usually drool over. Switch into maybe some lesser heralded guys from that first workout. Jay Huff out of Virginia, big man. Colby Ross out of Pepperdine, a guard. And I've seen both of those guys a good amount. I watched a reasonable amount of WCC this year, so I saw Ross a lot. And then a name I literally hadn't heard of before this workout, Blake Francis of Richmond. I feel, do you know anything about those three guys that is, you know, kind of makes sense for them to be in this particular workout group or, or fans should pay attention to? Well, I think Blake Francis is from the area. So okay. I think that helps probably cost them a, a bus ticket to get them there. Uh, but it's funny because I, I am familiar with him, but it's because it was an early season game where they played Kentucky. And this right when, you know, people started to figure out, okay, this Kentucky team isn't good. And he had a, a good game there, but small guard, six foot, tough shot taker, tough shot maker, not the most efficient guy, but he's creative and crafty. I think he would be a really good fit for the G League. I think that's the type of setting where he'll, he'll really shine in. And then maybe from there, it could possibly lead to some opportunities. But I think he's more so of a overseas player. I think that he can use the G League to kind of, you know, extend his profile, brighten his profile, and then have a career overseas. But, you know, I mean, he's like I said, he's small. And, you know, usually when you got a guy that's six foot, he's going to be competitive. He's going to be tough. And those are the type of guys who I would love to have in workouts if I'm an NBA team because they always have to prove that they can play. Mm -hmm. And when you're wanting to test a guy out that has been praised, I would put a small guard on him in, in, in those type of settings and see how competitive he is. Uh, how about Huff or, or Ross? Huff is, you know, like I said about Bassey, this was 20 years ago. He might be a first-round pick back when – Size was everything, but he's 7'1". Not a great athlete, decent athlete. He's skilled. Um, but I think his biggest strength is that he shot 38% from three. He's one of these guys that if you look at, like, the advanced stats, he's a – I mean, he's as, as efficient as it gets. Shoots a high percentage from the floor, knocks down a high percentage of threes. I think in the NBA he would project as maybe like a – maybe like a Boban type, but a stretch five, a guy that you maybe can play every two or three games, depending on the matchup and he'll, he'll space the floor, a pretty good shot blocker. I think, like I said, if this was a long time ago where guys are getting post touches, then I think that's what he's most effective, but his shot blocking can probably be nullified because teams are just going to put him in space. Hmm. And Kobe Ross okay, is. What do, these guys, what do these guys do that are, are, are big guys that in college, they rely on uh, the post catches. And then obviously once, you take a step up and you're, you're, in, you're in the league, there's not a lot of per se post catches. So are those guys looked at differently as far as to how they can affect the game or they looked at to do uh, some sort of a different skill? Um, you know, what's, can, can help me out right there? You know, it, it depends on the situation because I think even in college, the spacing isn't there. So even if you are getting post touches, I mean, it, it's crowded because most college teams aren't going to have stretch fours or going to play the four out. Huff got some post touches, but he had shooters around him. He had Trey Murphy. He had the other guy, uh, Sam Hauser. So he was able to get touches in space, but he was also able to, you know, spread the floor. But you look at like Bassey, for example, he was able to get some post touches, but Another reason why he may have decided to start shooting threes is because, you know, you, you're getting beat up and there's not a lot of spacing there. So it's kind of like, I feel like 
that one year where the Sixers had Horford and Simmons, everybody was complaining about Embiid shooting too many jumpers, but I'm like, <laughs> they didn't have the spacing. So he was the one that decided to space the floor. But I mean, bigs are kind of hard to, to gauge in college basketball anyway, because you can be, I mean, like Garza from Iowa, he was dominant, but it's questionable if it's going to project to the NBA because nobody's going to give him 10 post touches a game. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. The second group of, of folks, I think is, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but sort of mostly undrafted uh, exhibit 10 kind of candidate guys. And this list just came out. So I, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Uh, Troy Baxter, 6'9 forward out of Morgan State. Obadiah Noel, 6'4 guard out of UMass Lowell. Devontae Schuler, 6'2 guard out of Ole Miss. Uh, maybe the one name on this list that that local fans will be familiar with, Jamarco Pickett, 6'9 wing out of Georgetown. Um, am I missing something there? Or are those kind of guys that that don't seem likely to get drafted? Yeah, I don't see any of them being drafted. I think the Wizards are just doing their due diligence, maybe looking for guys that you can probably put on a summer league roster. And also, like I mentioned, I mean, some guys that you want to test out the guys that you're really interested in, you may want to bring some dogs in, some guys that are really hungry to just kind of see how competitive they are. But yeah, for the most part, I see those guys as at best summer league guys or unless they're trying to get their rights for the G League. Pickett's a name that that, that kind of stood out to me. I watched a couple of Georgetown games in person last year, and I want to say one particularly against Villanova. You know, he looked like college Kevin Durant for for that game he hit like four or five threes in the first half and he was long and lanky defensively and then we watched them play Creighton later in the season I said oh I didn't pick it play today and I said oh he did he just you, you never saw him do anything um during the game so that not a terrible guy I think to take a look at because he's right. at least shown some flashes yeah I mean I would definitely take risks on guys like that I mean guys that are that long that have upside as shot creators. I mean, there's, there's value in those guys. So you always want to see what it is. Maybe it wasn't the system that, you know, maybe they weren't, the players won't run from, you know, it could be a, a bunch of different reasons, but worth the risk doesn't cost you anything. And, and I would definitely look at him, take a deep look at him. Uh, Raphael, please tell everybody where they can find your work and, and what you have coming up here in, in the next three, three and a half weeks uh, for folks to look forward to. Yeah, I've been crazy busy. I had this ridiculous goal of trying to put out 100 prospect videos. So I have 47 left I have in the next three weeks. I have a, a podcast. It's a Locked on NBA Draft. It's every Monday and Thursday. And then I guess I can announce it now, but Locked On has given me a live draft show. So it'll be me and Chad Ford. We're doing it out of a studio here in Dallas. So that'd be pretty cool um, just to, you know, do the live draft shows. It was on my list of things that I wanted to do as far as this year. Um, I had a list of goals. I wanted to do some type of TV appearance and it ended up being a, pretty much better than what I what I hoped for. So I'm looking forward to that, which means I have to know all these guys off the top of my head. Can't be the guy when they, you know, we see it every year during the draft, they announce a foreign guy and they're just like, uh, and they go to commercial break. You cut so, the Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> like a Jokic. Yeah. Yep. So I want to make sure that I, that I know the guy. So that's part of the reasons why I'm trying to, you know, make a hundred prospect videos. And I mean, I figure if I do a hundred, I shouldn't miss on, I shouldn't miss on any, unless there's something that's really surprising. So my, my goal is to, you know, just kind of to be the best at this. And Chad's a pretty good guy to do that with, for, you know, for the, one of the godfathers of, of mock drafting and big boards all together. And yeah. I would encourage anybody that, that hasn't done so already to check out a couple podcasts that, that you guys have done mm -hmm. together. There's Chad Ford's NBA big board, his podcast that you've been on and he's been on yours mm -hmm. as well. And I thought those were particularly uh, insightful. So, uh, Raphael, this was great. Thank you so much for the time. For anybody that hasn't checked it out, again, nbadraftjunkies.com as well. Please give that a look. Check out the YouTube page. Um, really good way to, to get up to speed on these guys very quickly. Thanks, yeah, thanks. for the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, thanks for even listening to the podcast. You know, it's one of those things where you never know who's listening until somebody mentions it. So, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, very much. What's up, man? Much success to you. Keep doing your thing. 
All right, man. Thanks a lot. I, I appreciate this opportunity. All right. Like we said, uh, thanks to Raphael for, for coming on here. It was really good insight. I, again, we could have quizzed him on another 25 guys that I think even Larry and I have never heard of. And, and we watch a lot of basketball and he'd still be able to, uh, you know, break them down for us and, and give us some level of insight into what they bring to the table. So check him out again. Let us know if there are you know particular prospects you want us to uh, talk about. I'll have some stuff for Bullets Forever on, on some of these guys and, and, you know, draft candidates that I like as well. So uh, check that out. And yeah, just just keep it coming with the questions and all those things. And once again, today's episode was brought to you by betonline.ag. We'll check you next week. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done